Jason Grayson. Welcome back to One on One with the Canon Podcast Show, brought to you by WCANmedia.com, which is right for today and ready for tomorrow. And with me in the podcast studio is a criminal law attorney by the name of Stephanie Hall, and we will have a deep discussion about police reform. All of this and much more right here on One on One with the Canon Podcast Show, coming up right after this. Greetings. I'm Samuel Hampton II, producer at WCAN TV. WCAN-TV is currently looking for quality programming for 30 to 60 minutes. If you have a message that you would like to share to the world, please contact me at 440-836-4591 or at tvwcan at yahoo.com. Thank you. Hi, my name is Dr. Marlene Carson, and I am a survivor of domestic minor sex trafficking. What is a survivor, you ask? Well, I survived sex trafficking as a child. I thrive in business and ministry, and I'm here to help you revive your dead dreams, visions, and purpose. If you would like to connect with a survivor community, please reach out to www.rahabshopeofohio.org. That website address again is www.rahabshopeofohio.org. Hi, I'm Joseph with Power to Become, an executive director with the John Maxwell team, bringing transformational training around the globe, making a difference when it makes a difference. We want to connect with you. Go to power2become.org or .com and connect with us now. Welcome back to 101 with the Canon Podcast Show. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you? Excellent. We're going to get into a nice, in-depth conversation about police reform. Okay. I'm going to initiate it by asking you a question. If you had the authority and power to implement police reform in the area of two denominators, policy, legislation, binary together, or policy by itself or legislation by itself, standalone applications, using a numerical order or prioritizing, what would you implement first? It would definitely be policy because with the different agencies, they have different needs. You know, not every agency, not every community needs the same um, attention, if you will. Uh, There are different agencies that have different challenges. So to make a blanket legislation, and we're the executive branch, I would not want to step on the toes of the legislature. So as an executive. Let me step uh, in here real quick. Say a policy that you said is tailored to each department, correct? Yes. Okay. So could it be, or can it be a policy, a universal effect on all departments? Well, of course. Yes. To make it, but just in case they do that, policy is in set. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. I mean, a policy, you can have a policy where, you know, you have your use of force policy, your de-escalation policy, you have your policy requirements to have continuing police or continuing professional training. Those are policies that are set in place in order that the officers are on a consistent learning basis that every year they are um, required to attend training in order to get the legal updates. Okay, now let's go back to excessive force. Within Mm -hmm. the excessive force policy, aren't they violating those policies sometimes with excessive force? Well, it's a case-by-case basis. Yes, right, right, right. If there's an excessive force case out there, then that officer would be in violation of a policy that deals with excessive force. Um, But the excessive force policy does not necessarily come from legislation because, and why I say that is, if an officer, when I teach civil liability in the academy, I tell the officer, you are the defendant in a civil liability case. No longer are we talking about just regular defendants where you're the police officer and you're doing the arrest, et cetera. So when I teach civil liability, I say to the officer, I say, listen, this is the time where you'll be the defendant. So you could either 
face prosecution, which is criminal, and we already have the criminal laws on the books. So if you have an excessive force case and you're outside the scope of your duties, you can be charged with felonious assault. You can be charged with aggravated assault or manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, et cetera. You know? So it would be a criminal offense. So you don't necessarily need a policy that incorporates a criminal offense because you already have the criminal offense on the books. So in Ohio, you have the Ohio Revised Code. Now, civilly, that's when you have your wrongful arrest or wrongful convictions or, you know, I can't think off the top of my head, but there are also civil liabilities. So that's already taken care of. Those are already on the books. They are in your Ohio Revised Code. They're made through the legislature. So the policy would come from the agency. Now, it can also come from our POTA, which is our Ohio Peace Officers Training Commission, which has the curriculum for the police academy and also initiates the curriculum for the continuing police training. Okay, let's reformat a policy. Let's go into a policy and see do we need to put or add amendments to it. For instance, a shootout, okay? The victim is wrong, got shot. Now, I have watched this body cams. They go up, don't move, don't move, don't move. He could be paralyzed. Got it? And then they go put the handcuffs on him don't move, don't move, I hear this. Then they search the pockets, and they stand there and talk. Here it goes. And do not call paramedics. You might be still alive. Why don't we take that policy? Listen, if there's a shooting, immediately call paramedics. Again, we have those policies where if a um, defendant or a suspect or a subject is um, shot or injured, by the um, officer, even if it is justified or not justified, we're not determining that at this time. Anytime someone needs medical assistance, there are policies on the books for the officer to initiate uh, medical assistance. Okay, now you being in the field like you're in, okay, I'm not going to put you out there, but I have seen just actual body cams. They're standing around talking, all right? Anybody call the paramedics? Yeah, we call them right now. It's been like 10 minutes almost. See that? That's what I'm talking about. Well, that's about. a violation of a policy. See, but see, sure. that's not, but see, it doesn't go any further than that. That's what I'm saying. And they're not held accountable. Well, I'm, I'm not sure what case you're, you're Yeah, I don't remember. So, I watched right. this on t- YouTube, though. Yeah. Um, you may watch things, you know, on YouTube or not, you know, and then that's it. So you don't necessarily know what the follow-up is. Follow it. So True. I would suggest anytime our audience comes across um, something that you've seen on YouTube, it would behoove you to maybe follow up with the agency or follow up, you know, with some other Google searches to see what happened. This is what I wanted to hear from you. See that? Yeah, because— Some advice. Because trust me, if you saw it, then the powers that be also saw they it. They saw it. Just knowing how police agencies work, most people don't know that officers are held accountable. I mean, it may not seem like it because the cases that you that the public sees or views are like the high profile cases or cases that appear to be egregious at the time. And, you know, just looks crazy because you either see a body cam or somebody's recording it. But if you do the follow up, um, most officers are held accountable. You know, they try to be transparent because they're they showing do. these trans- they they, they're showing these uh, these court cases where these officers are being held accountable. They are being held accountable. And they are weeping and crying. They get up with this big statement. I know I regret what I did. It's out there. Mm-hmm. They do have accountability. But, you know, like I'm saying, in reform, you know, we have a lot of areas to me that has to be touched up on. Well, reform, again, is one of those buzzwords that has only really come into play in the last five or six years or so in response to police excessive force cases. I can just tell you from the agencies that I've worked with, there's always reform because things are always changing. I mean, you have where, you know, COVID, we were inside for the last two years. So, again, you know, you had more 
criminal activity. You had more juveniles on the street. I mean, there's just a lot going on. And then with technology and just, you know, even with the Zoom hearings, I mean, a lot of different things have come into play because life changes. So in police agencies, although you just now hearing about police reform because of the excessive force cases and we need to learn how to de-escalate, et cetera, et cetera, there's always been reform. I can tell you that the curriculum, even at the Ohio Peace Officer Training Commission and Academy, they have reviewed their curriculum like every six months. Okay. And they have a, they, they they have people come together to review. Now, again, you have Southern Ohio, you have Cleveland, Ohio, you have the East, the West. So some areas, you know, have to be broadened based on what's going on in that community. So again, when you say police reform is a broad concept, but the way it's applied, you have to look at your community, what's needed for that community. Okay, let's look at a universal need for every police officer. <laughs> Okay, this is we just every police officer. Everything is we just thought that I know. I'm just saying though. But we, I understand that, but we just we just gonna throw this out there. One area, mental factors. Okay, that's I'm universal. Glad you brought that up. That's mental. When my partner and I, um, Jack Hall, we were part of the de-escalation police reform brought in by Cuyahoga County, and we did a virtual training. I think it was uh, 2020, in the 2020, early 2021. And he and I did a two-hour police reform virtual training for the officers in and around Cuyahoga County. I think we tried to reach as many officers in the state, but I'm not sure of the numbers. But basically, our curriculum, our instruction, our, our PowerPoint centered around the officer. Why we, we wanted to talk with the officer. What is the difference between or what happened with that officer from when they took the test to get into the academy? They were excited to be in the academy. And then something happened after they got or became a part of that department, and now that officer's in hot water. What happened? And sometimes it can take anywhere from six months to maybe five years, but things do change because officers have to have this type of um, hypervigilance. Police officers have to have a different type of awareness when they go out into the field and they're dealing with the public in order to stay alive and in order to protect and serve. And it sounds counterintuitive, but police officers have to have that innate quality. You know, I haven't been on the streets for a while, but I still, when I go into a room, I'm scanning the room. When I look at a person, I'm not looking in your eyes, I'm looking at your hands. And so there's just a certain mechanism, a certain innate ability that a police officer has. Let me butt in. When I was at the Highway Patrol Academy back in 1978, okay, they taught us environmental awareness. Mm -hmm. To this day, I still use that. Yeah, you do. When I go into restaurants, I look around. And I still read plates. Yep. I mean, my eyesight is getting a little worse because yeah. I'm getting older. And I'm, I'm, ref I'm looking at reflections. I'm picking up everything. I watch everybody walks through the door. But you do. people, the party who was with me, don't realize what I'm doing. And, and you probably do it, like, you know, in big gatherings. Like, oh, I am yeah. very yeah. cautious of big gatherings. If someone's talking loud, are they about to get into a fight? Is it about to go from, you know, a social event, everyone's having a good time, to some type of critical incident? But let me circle back to the mental health aspect. Um that's one thing that in doing a police reform class, we talk about the officer's mental health and to be able to decompress when you come home from work. And if you don't learn how to do that, that's when that officer cannot no longer see the balance of being a police officer, being hypervigilant and going home. How will the hierarchy know that you're having a mental problem? Well, see, that's the thing. You know, when we teach the class, we're not just teaching the police officers. I think there were some supervisors in the class. Again, it was virtual, so I wasn't sure of the, the class makeup. But that was one of the things that not only are we wanting to make the supervisors responsible? We want your partners and your colleagues to be responsible. If you know that this person is usually jovial or maybe going through a divorce or whatever the case may be, pull that person aside, bring some awareness to what's going on with this person. Because for the most part, police are pretty good people, but their experiences sometimes dictate what they do on the street when they're 
under so much stress. And I'm not excusing bad behavior right, right, by right, no right, means. Right, right. Back in 1978, when I was, uh, entered the Highway Patrol Academy, they had this test called, I don't know if you're aware of it, called the Oldest Employment Exam. Mm -mm. Part of the exam was a 600 questionnaire. And what they did, they tried to wear you down and they picked up a habit how you was MMPI, answering. I think it is. Okay. Do you like your mother? Do you, do you yeah, those? we had like yeah, 600 ghosts. questions of that. Okay, yeah. so they was looking at consistency. So right. they asked the question, okay, would you like to go fishing, have a million dollars, or go to the movie? Mm -hmm. And that might come up again, the million dollars. Right. But they're going to give you something outweigh the million dollars, right. but you answer the million dollars four times in a row, then you change. Right. I picked up real quick. I right. said, oh, they want consistency with these answers right. while I was doing it. it took out and two, transparency. Yeah. They picked, took about two hours to answer this question, but uh, I passed the test. Right. But the thing is, it was a hard mental test right there. They want to see consistency with the person. Now, do we have exams that can do the same thing? There may be different exams for um, entering different agencies, different departments, but not part of the police report okay. or anything that I've been involved with as far as continuing professional training. That was very intense when I took that. Let's get into the legislation, okay? Let's take it a little higher. What would you like to see in legislation that would help? See, I, I'm not sure about that because I don't necessarily know if the legislature knows what the officer needs. Okay. Well, you let's know, hypothetically make up something. Well, the legislature makes the laws. Okay, so let's look at laws. Okay. Let's make up something. What, what's a good law well, with training. Okay. 20 hours of CPT training or 40 hours of CPT training. But for how long? For the rest of your time on the force? Or oh, what? once a year. Absolutely. Okay, that's what I'm saying. It, or every, you know, um, if you can't do a week because of manpower, and that's another thing. You know, different agencies may have, you know, an influx of manpower and other agencies may not. It just depends on uh, the makeup of the agency. But absolutely, training has to be incorporated. You know, if not, I, I would like to see it, you know, twice a year. You okay. know, or quarterly, especially, you know, with the escalation, subject control, firearms training. Okay. You know what? The old clock on the wall says that's all. Oh, wow. Time is running out. We'll talk hey, about this forever. We can talk about it. We'll bring you back and do a part two on this. All right. Listen, everyone, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please direct all correspondence to canonpodcast at yahoo.com. Until next time, take care of yourselves and goodbye. Bye-bye.